welcome to the latest episode of A Just Transition, brought to you by OBS International. My name's Tim Phillips, and welcome, as ever, of course, to my co-host Bradley Davidson, ESG leader, OBS International. Bradley, hi. Hi, Tim, and welcome back to our listeners. Yes, and Bradley, straight on with it today. What are we talking about, and who's our guest in this episode? So today we're discussing what happens after funds have set their targets. Mm. During series one, we looked at the many ways in which funds are setting climate and wider ESG targets to align their activity with global sustainability standards and shifting investor preferences. Target setting is a material step on the journey to net zero and by no means a small feat, but in many ways the hard work starts once ambitions have been set. We're going to look at the practicalities of delivering those targets and identify some of the challenges faced along the way. To help us tackle today's topic, I'm excited to introduce Caroline Haas, Managing Director and Head of Climate and ESG Capital Markets at NatWest Markets. I have the pleasure of working with Caroline on a daily basis, so I know our listeners are in for a great episode. Welcome to the podcast, Caroline. Thank you so much, Bradley. As you said, I'm Head of Climate and ESG Capital Markets in NatWest Markets, where the team and I focus on the capital market instruments from loans to bonds and CP, as well as supporting the derivatives and FX businesses as our customers greenify their balance sheets. The team is split into customer segments covering the SSAs or sovereign supranationals and agencies, financial institutions, corporates, and private finance, while also having regulatory and data specialists. We've taken an advisory approach to support our customers' transition both from a climate and ESG perspective. So Caroline, when we think of targets in this context, then that usually means we're talking about net zero. So what does net zero asset management mean? The term net zero means achieving a balance between the carbon emitted into the atmosphere and the carbon removed from it. Net zero encompasses the entire value chain of an organization that is financed to some extent by asset managers, either through debt or equity. Fund managers have a significant role to play to encourage their investee companies to become net zero through engagement and divestment if necessary. Asset managers are building out scorecards to measure and monitor the carbon trajectories of their holdings and ultimately set their own targets to achieve either net zero or carbon neutrality. Bradley, you told me about something called the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, uh, and that's representing $57.5 trillion in assets up to now. I see they're encouraging asset managers globally to join uh, with some success, given that figure. How important are partner networks like this in asset management? So collaboration was a key theme of COP26, and each segment of the economy has its own role to play in delivering our societal climate goals. However, no one entity or sector can do so alone. Therefore, coalitions such as the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, or NZAM as we refer to it, have many benefits, but there are two that I'll highlight today. Firstly, targets by nature are a statement of intent, and aligning to an industry coalition like Enzam can be a powerful communication tool. We often discuss the messaging challenges funds face in the absence of consistent reporting frameworks, so the use of voluntary industry standards can help cut through the noise. For those unaware, Enzam requires a commitment to achieve net zero emissions by 2050 or sooner across all assets under management, and also requires an interim target to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees by 2030, often referred to as Paris alignment. Now, the second point 
Enzyme calls for collaboration across asset managers to help achieve their targets. So bringing it down to that slightly more macro scale. We recognize the great ambition of net zero. We're on our own journey within RBS International, so face many of the same challenges. But working with our peers to share best practice and collectively identify solutions has been a great help. I'd encourage all funds looking to join an industry initiative like Enzam to make the most of the opportunity and really open up the channels of communication across industry. In my view, this approach will be crucial to success. So Caroline, when funds make a commitment, what are the next steps? How do they follow through? There are a variety of strategies that asset managers are undertaking to achieve their own net zero commitments or targets. This may vary subject to the type of mandate or purpose the fund has. The simplest strategy to reduce the portfolio's footprint is exclusion. However, this does not really capture the full value chain of a company, nor does it encourage behavioral change. If the fund primarily holds equity or debt that is traded in the public markets, portfolio managers can readily divest if the company or organization does not undertake a carbon reduction plan, which also applies to sovereigns or government debt. Interestingly, many of the institutional investors that we speak to prefer engagement over outright divestment to encourage change undertaken by senior management and the guidance that is given. In the private finance space, fund managers or sponsors are beginning to embed carbon metrics into the assessment of their portfolio companies, either in the investment stage or in their annual reviews. This requires reporting of scope one and two, and ideally scope three, to establish a baseline footprint and create an emission reduction roadmap with specific science-based targets. This may sound very obvious and simple. However, it is actually quite challenging. Fortunately, the asset manager community, both in the public and private markets, are very focused to support their investments along these transition journeys. Yeah, Caroline, this is something that is a challenge for everybody that is trying to engage with ESG initiatives. How do you measure success? How do you know that you're on track? That is a very, very good question. Naturally, it would be ideal to have a downward trend for each organization and portfolio. However, as previously touched upon, this is much more perplexing than it may sound. Mm. The devil is very much in the detail concerning methodologies, data, and standards. Tools are being developed almost on a daily basis, such as corporate and consumer carbon trackers or the installation of smart meters to get bottom-up granular data, which can be used in models to provide the respective scope 1 to 3 emissions output. However, this is costly and time-intensive, which can be particularly challenging for SMEs. Having said all of this, it is really impressive to see asset managers, particularly in private finance, set science-based targets aligned to the Paris Agreement, which ultimately requires the measuring and monitoring of the investments. Naturally, it is attaining the annual or biannual targets. However, it is the engagement and changing business models that will have the greatest impact on emission reduction, while broadening the scope to include biodiversity and social impacts. Bradley, this isn't the whole story either, is it? Because pressure from investors is only one thing that moves the needle on this. There's also regulation and subsidy. We've talked about this before that's driving change. So what is really in the fund's control here? Is future public policy the thing that's going to determine what it's possible for them to achieve on this path to net zero? 
Absolutely. So throughout series one, we talked about the stick approach, essentially. So regulation <laughs> yes. that requires financial institutions to report against ESG metrics or define products in a certain way as we talk about greenwashing. But we're also dependent on public policy to enable and accelerate the transition to net zero. If I take the UK as an example, the Build Back Greener strategy identifies areas such as renewable energy production that will require support through public-private partnerships as Caroline's just alluded to. In recent weeks, there has been coverage identifying mismatches between the short-term demand for onshore wind projects, for example, and the medium-term nature of gaining planning approval. So even headline policies have their own dependencies. Bringing this back to the fund managers, as with any strategy, it's important to make a distinction between dependent and independent activity during the initial stages of formation. The methods used to achieve net zero must be aligned to individual entities, and so funds can start from within. Caroline has covered some of those areas, such as using their existing expertise to start making changes to their investment approach, integrating ESG risk, and incorporating sustainable financing strategies. This internal evaluation process should lead to clear areas of dependency, which can then be used to promote open dialogue between industry and governing bodies. There is no guarantee that increased engagement will lead to policy change, but starting the conversation early provides a greater chance of success. To summarize, the issues highlighted through the Paris Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals are complex and pervasive, and we don't yet have all the answers. However, funds can take meaningful steps within their own business whilst forming part of the conversation as we identify market-wide solutions needed to tackle climate change. In the short term as well, Caroline, there's an energy crisis, and we assume that's going to go away by 2050, but it's not going away anytime soon. And we're suddenly talking about increasing our reliance on carbon-intensive energy sources. So how's that going to affect these commitments in the short term? Undoubtedly, the energy crisis and the geopolitical situation will have a notable impact Mm. on growth and market sentiment. Prior to the war in Ukraine, we'd already experienced the first indications of an energy crisis and the implications on consumers and businesses. Being an optimist, the additional component of energy security will enhance the focus on the respective energy mix as well as energy independence. This is the perfect combination, and similar to what Bradley was previously addressing, for governments to increase their support to renewable energy alternatives, either through funding, subsidies, or supportive policy. Germany has already increased its ambition to be 100% renewable by 2035, with the share of wind or solar power reaching 80% by 2030. This implies Germany's onshore wind energy capacity would double to 110 gigawatts, offshore wind energy would reach 30 gigawatts, arithmetically the capacity of 10 nuclear plants, and solar energy would more than triple to 200 gigawatts. Similarly, the UK government has said that 95% of the UK's electricity will be produced by low-carbon means by 2030 and have a fully decarbonized electricity system by 2035, which also includes supporting new hydrogen and biomass technologies. Personally, I believe that the transition is going to be accelerated, given the direct consequences that need to be addressed. The capital is ready to go. The Carbon Disclosure Project highlights that there is a 4 trillion euro gap in Europe between money that wants to be 1.5 degree aligned and the reality of companies they can lend to. If initiatives like Enzam mean more asset managers commit to net zero targets, where will they find the opportunities? 
there are so many different opportunities that can be pursued. I mean, it is absolutely extraordinary. And, and I think, does that mean it's in the developed world? Is that in the developing world? That's just from a geographic perspective to think about. Then there's the different type of technologies that need to be built out. And just even looking at the renewable energy, I mean, we're still building and learning on that, what offshore looks like to make it much more achievable and to bring out in full scale. So then you've got the financing of climate tech companies, which are going to be starting at the grassroots, and they will need everything from venture capital to loans to then subsequently at some point into possibly the public markets. And then you've got the supporting the decarbonization of homes and businesses, which again is another complete piece that needs to be done. I mean, if I look at the UK, just taking the housing stock and converting that into a much more energy efficient means is enormous. The market and respective instruments are also quickly being aligned or amended to support this transition, such as green loans and transition bonds. As Mark Carney so well said, it is not just about climate risks, but also about the returns and underlying climate and ESG opportunities. Well, that's all we've got time for, Caroline. It's a good job you said you're an optimist because we've fired quite a lot of you today, haven't we? Before you go... Talking of optimism and your own views, this podcast is called A Just Transition. What does a just transition mean to you? A just transition means that we bring everyone along for the journey to a net zero or carbon neutral world, thereby taking into consideration the social implications of the change, providing both mitigating and adaptating solutions to reduce the impact of climate change. This will entail reskilling of human capital and providing financial support to disadvantaged communities. The socioeconomic implications need to be considered and incorporated into the solutions to actually have effective long-term change. Caroline, thank you very much. Thank you very much, and it was a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to all of you who continue to listen. Thank you for subscribing as well. If you haven't subscribed, go on, do it now. And give us a review as well, especially if it's a good review. And also, I'd just like to say, look out for Bradley's ESG Brief, which is an innovation for this series. He's bringing you up to date with all the latest news on ESG in between our episodes. So you'll get that as well when you subscribe, two for one. Thank you, Tim. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next month when we will be speaking to another exciting guest about the transition to net zero. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.